This is Table Talk with the Greenville House of Prayer, where we set the table for Christian conversations that explore the Scripture, promote prayer, and seek to edify the body of Christ. For more information about Greenville House of Prayer or to contact us, please visit our website at ghopsc.org or connect with us on Facebook at Greenville House of Prayer. Now for today's broadcast. Welcome to another episode of Table Talk with the Greenville House of Prayer. My name is Curtis Carr. I'm glad that you've tuned in today. We have back with us uh, Representative Jonathan Hill. Jonathan, thanks again for being good, with us. Good to be back. Uh, Jonathan represents District 8 in the South Carolina State House, and um, we've had several episodes with him talking about you know, what does it look like to to be a Christian engaged with politics and how can we be involved and that we have a responsibility. Primarily, we were emphasizing we've got a responsibility to be involved and that we need to, before God, be engaged. And if we want to see something done, we need to take action ourselves right. and, and that uh, the Constitution was the Constitution is the law of the land and that we the people are the authority over the Constitution in this land and that that's kind of been lost in the huge political machine that we have uh, today in America. But I believe people are waking up to that. I think we're seeing grassroots uh, on the local level, you know, school boards, council, people are waking up in a good way and uh so i i am hopeful you mm-hmm. know what 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 that looks like I, down the road who knows but uh, i just want to make sure i do my part you know and encourage the people i love to do their part and uh, move in that direction well we wanted to talk about uh the bill that you've put out it was in um it was march march of this march year yes. you put it up it's, H four zero four six. It's called the South Carolina Unborn Victims of Violence Act of twenty twenty one. And if you've listened to us in any amount of time, you know that uh, here at the Greenville House of Prayer, uh, we are very pro life and, and adamantly pro life, and uh, we pray often for issues surrounding life, uh, and that would include the ending of abortion in our area. And we're taking a stand. Uh, you know, spiritually praying against that darkness, but also we want to be vocal and active in that. Uh, we believe that abortion, especially elective abortion, which is ninety, you know, ninety-five percent at least of all abortions that are they're performed on a healthy mother with a healthy baby uh, for no major reason other than choice, right? Uh, that that is, and that 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 is a, the greatest injustice of our day. And potentially is, the yes. greatest injustice of our nation's history. It is. Yes. Uh, I think that the case could be made that that we have stamped that as approved in our society by law, uh, supposedly that that is an acceptable thing to do, and and it is a great injustice. And as Christians, we should be standing up to stand up for the unborn. Mm-hmm. You know, for those who are being led to the slaughter, we're supposed to to stand in the gap and lead them away from that. Uh, but also the harm that it does to women and and families and society as a whole um and you know it's the greatest uh, what it was i think it was mother teresa said this that you know the the greatest hindrance i don't quote mother teresa all the time but I, she got it right in her her uh what was it the prayer breakfast that she she was the keynote speaker during the Clinton administration? I would encourage you to go mm-hmm. read that. Somebody go, you can Google it and find that Mother Teresa's address. It and she just goes after abortion, you know, during the Clinton administration. But she said the greatest hindrance to peace in the world is abortion right now because you're setting the standard that a mother 
can just kill her own child, and it's okay, is essentially what she's saying. That's yeah. profound and chilling. I, yeah. You know, we're, um, we, we look back at the Christian Church of Germany back in, you know, 1939, as, as Adolf Hitler comes to power, and we, we shake our heads in disbelief. How could the church allow that to happen? How could the church sit by, silently watch six million Jews go to their deaths and go to their slaughters? And here we are in the United States of America coming up on 49 years of this, 62 million uh, babies dead in America, over 10 times the number of people that Adolf Hitler slaughtered yeah. have been slaughtered in the name of political convenience and progressivism and women's health. Uh, here in the United States of America, and I'm just wondering how many more is it going to take, mm-hmm. and how many more is it going to take for us to maybe reevaluate some of our political strategies? So along those lines, tell us about your bill, the motivation behind that, the strategy behind that, yeah. and and how that, you know, in light of maybe some other anti-abortion bills. Right, right. So uh, I filed uh, House Bill 4046. Uh, the Unborn Victims of Violence Act of 2021 in March of this year. And first of all, let's talk about the name of the bill, the Unborn Victims of Violence Act. This is not the first act by that name that has been passed in South Carolina. Hmm. Uh, The first one, I believe, was in 2006. And that's the statute that we currently have on our books that says that if you do violent harm to a pregnant woman, then that's automatically two counts, whatever you did it's assault and battery, it's two counts of assault and battery. And the reasoning is what you did to her, you did to the baby too. Yeah. You know, that's, that's true. That's logical. That's common sense. That's also for life. Uh, holds a high esteem of life. However, in that bill were included exceptions. And the exceptions were twofold. One is if the mother is doing harm to herself, that she cannot be prosecuted for doing harm to that child by doing harm to herself. Hmm. So self-harm is not considered a violent crime under that statute, and specifically by name, it, abortion is also excluded. So wow. uh, the the person who is carrying out an abortion on a mother, uh, on a mother's child, that is not considered a, a violent crime uh, that is, you know, prosecutable under that act. So, you know, <laughs> inherently, I believe there's a lot of hypocrisy. That's just one example of many that I could give you from a, from a current state law. Uh, but I, I named my bill the Unborn Victims of Violence Act because I wanted to call attention to the fact that we need to clear up these hypocrisies and also to point out that maybe we should just stop calling abortion abortion. Maybe we should call it violence. Maybe we yeah. should call it baby murder yeah. because isn't that what it is? And I, I really did want to call attention to the fact that abortion is a v- act of violence against the unborn child. So... The bill that I filed is, is, is not the only bill that defines life at conception that has been filed in South Carolina. Uh, personhood legislation does that. The uh, life at conception bill uh, from a couple of decades ago did that as well. Um, I certainly referenced all of those bills when I was developing this one. But, you know, the, the heartbeat bill debate from earlier this year really made me start thinking about, okay, what should we be doing? You know, if it's not this, what should we be doing as pro-lifers to end abortion? And... You know, in, in the process of that, I went and I read our murder statutes. I read all the abortion statutes that are currently on the books in South Carolina. By the way, Curtis, did you know that in South Carolina, if you commit the crime of murder, you can get anything from 20 years to life uh, or the death penalty? That to get life in prison or the death penalty, the jury has to render a unanimous verdict. Hmm. Uh, so one person in disagreement will 
you know, mm-hmm. negate that uh, life sentence or, or, or death penalty. And when the jury and when the judge are adjudicating the case and they're considering whether or not to give a life sentence or the death penalty, they're required to look at a series of aggravating factors and a series of mitigating factors. In other words, we have a list of, of things in our laws that supposedly make this murder worse, a more egregious crime, and things that make it less bad, a less egregious crime. Would you be surprised to know, Curtis, that one of the aggravating factors in our murder statute today is if the, is that the victim was under the age of 12? Wow. So already in our murder statute, we consider killing a child a worse crime than killing an adult. Yeah. I don't think any South Carolinian would argue yeah, against we that. Should. Right. Um, we should consider that. Why don't we consider the unborn? Uh, do we not... Do we not consider that a worse crime than killing an adult? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so, you know, we I, I had all these inconsistencies coming to, to mind. And then and then the real clincher was, you know, when a, a pro-life attorney from Texas posed the question to me, Jonathan, he, he pointed out Chief Justice Blackman in the Roe decision itself asked the question. He's, and, and, he, and he's pointing out the fact that in Texas statute at that time, of course, everybody knows that the Roe decision – was in part based on the fact that Texas had failed to define when life began in their, in their Texas mm-hmm. law, in their state law. But they also already were treating abortion as a different kind of crime than murder. And Justice Blackman points this out in the, in the debate, uh, in, in the adjudication of, of the Roe uh, decision itself. He asks the question, if the fetus is a person, may the penalty be different? May the penalty be different? And as pro-lifers, we have to answer that question, Curtis. And there's only two ways to answer that question. We can either answer the question and say, no, the penalty may not be different, and we treat abortion as murder. Mm-hmm. Or we say, no, the penalty may not be different, but it doesn't matter. That's, that's our only two options. And if we say it doesn't matter, what we're really saying is that, okay, life does begin at conception— Yes, killing the unborn life should be considered murder. However, some people do not deserve or should not be afforded the same protections. Mm-hmm. And that puts us, unfortunately, in the same territory. With so you would be categorized—if you categorize the fetus or the preborn child as less of a person, therefore right. they have less of right. a— Right, right. Uh, and that puts us in the category with value. all the human rights abusers— of the last few centuries, it puts us in the same category with Adolf Hitler himself, with Margaret Sanger, with well, all the eugenicists. And when of that do you time. draw that line? I mean, you, you, if you want to make that logical argument, my pushback is: where do you draw the line? Do you draw the line at the heartbeat? Do you draw well, the we line draw at viability, the or you draw the line? You know, it, it, there's no there's right. no standard by which to draw that line. So the the answer for me is I'm going to err on the side of caution. I'm going to err on the right. side of conception versus just throw the baby out. Uh, we we err on the side where the Scripture says. The Scripture yeah. says that there's never a time in our mother's womb when God didn't know us and when yeah. God doesn't refer to us as a person. So right. from the point that something exists there, that's the point at which it deserves to be protected because it is already a human being according oh, to I God's word. Oh, I completely agree with you. What um, I'm saying is people arguing against that, they yeah. don't have a standard to draw no, another they don't. line of personhood. And so, and so what ends up happening is, and, and I do believe this happened with the heartbeat bill, is that you know some politician essentially goes, well— um, and this was, as it was explained to me by the by the House sponsor, 
Uh, so I'm not making this up. This is how he put it to me. He said, you know, when we consider a person dead, clinically dead, when their heart stops, we mm-hmm. consider them clinically alive when their heart is beating. Mm-hmm. And so at the point that, that that unborn child is considered clinically alive, we have no right to take his life. On its face, that's a statement I can completely agree with. Mm-hmm. I just wish that his bill, Senate Bill 1, actually did that. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, that's not what the bill does. I was going to ask, what is your, what's the issue. If you're just tuning in, I, I want to uh, reintroduce uh, Jonathan Hill. He's been sharing about um, his his bill, H4046, the South Carolina Unborn Victims of Violence Act. Um, and we were just talking about uh, some of the other pro-life legislation and how maybe there's uh, the, the differences there and the need for this particular type of bill. But So you were mentioning the heartbeat bill right. um, and how the the premise that was communicated to you was you know we can someone's clinically dead when their heartbeat stops let's consider someone alive when the heart is beating right you know and I think you could make the biblical argument possibly with their life is in the blood right yeah you know, there may be right. some argumentation there uh, but what what you were saying that that is not actually what's in the bill? Yeah, that unfortunately, I, if only that's what the bill did. Uh, I yeah. think uh, with all the media reporting that you know heartbeat legislation in South Carolina and Georgia and Ohio and many other states that have taken action on this, this is the uh, you know strongest pro life bill that the state's ever seen that's, that's mm-hmm. ever been passed and so forth. And and unfortunately, this bill, at least in South Carolina, our version of it does nothing substantial. Yeah, and let me explain why. Uh, so in 44-41-670, which was in the bill, it says that, you know, everything we just said that, that is not allowed in terms of performing an abortion on a baby with a beating heart, that does not apply if there's not a heartbeat detected. And so uh, you're going to look at me with a straight face, Chris, or, or Curtis, and tell me that you think that Planned Parenthood or the folks at the, uh, the you know, Greenville Women's uh, Center um, over on Grove Road that that they're not going to cheat, mm-hmm. that they're going to perform an ultrasound, and they're not going to place the instrument in a place where it can't hear the heartbeat of the ba- of of, of the, the, the law and the law includes a requirement or penalization for not requires offering well yes and that and I believe that's already in state law but um, yeah. but certainly under the heartbeat bill you're required perform an ultrasound and see if there is a beating heart. Yeah. And you're you're required to, to record that. However, you know, Planned Parenthood is not exactly known for being a, oh, a, sure. a an upright actor in any of this when your business model depends on taking the life of an unborn child with a beating heart, you're gonna do what you have to do to make it happen. You're either going to ignore that fact and flat out break the law or you're going to cheat and you're going to fail to record the beating heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not that hard to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, any ultrasound tech will, will tell you that it's just not that hard to do. Yeah. Um, so uh, by fair means or foul, first of all, that's a, gate, that's a loophole so large you can build a whole Planned Parenthood center in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. Um, the second issue was added into the bill. Um, it, it didn't, the bill didn't start out this way, but, of course, over the course of the debate on the bill, exceptions were added in. Um, for babies that are conceived in rape or incest. And so, you know, you might say, well, even if the bill doesn't save a single life, which I'm arguing that it does not, even if it does not, we're still making a strong pro-life statement that says that it's wrong to kill babies with beating hearts. And we are, 
until we say, except mm-hmm. for babies with beating hearts that were conceived in rape or incest. Mm-hmm. You see, it's not those babies' fault. Mm-hmm. Why are we prescribing the death penalty for babies that, or, or denying them equal protection under law, which, by the way, is required under the 14th Amendment of the Constitution, not to mention God's law, depriving them of the same protections that you would give every other baby with a beating heart. Yeah. And these are, these are flaws so fundamental and so non-negotiable, uh, Curtis, that when it came down to time to vote, I, I was unable to vote. Mm-hmm. I had to abstain. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it grieved me that that was the case. And I, I came to session that day uh, with a heavy heart, with six amendments in my hand to propose to try to clean up some of these fundamental flaws that were in the bill. And I was hoping to have a, de- a, a debate on those issues and a vote. And then uh, we got out there on the House floor, and um, there were some unexpected procedural moves uh, that included uh, locking down the debate to where, you know, you only get 10 minutes and you can't file any, any amendments. And I didn't have my amendments on the desk at that point. So I, I, I spoke my piece. You know, I used up my 10 minutes of time, and then I go back to my desk, and I'm sort of scratching my head. And I'm, I'm just internally I'm praying to God, you know, I've done everything that I can do here. Yeah. And he's like, no, you haven't. And I look down in my hand, and sure enough, there's a stack of papers in my hand. I kid you not, this is really how it happened. Stack of papers in my hand, and I go, huh. And on my office wall in Columbia, I have Morton Blackwell's 44 Laws of the Public Policy Process. It's framed, it's hanging on my wall. Morton Blackwell, in case you don't know who he is, he's, he founded Liberty, uh, Leadership Institute in Virginia, which is you know, been heavily in, uh, involved in training activists and, and candidates who've gotten involved in politics. And he, he also was uh, Barry Goldwater's youngest delegate back in the 1964 presidential race. Hmm. Um, but uh, so he's, he's a neat guy. He really knows what he's talking about. But at that moment, as I'm thinking about what to do next and I'm holding these in my hand, I remember one of those laws is never get mad except on purpose. And two is the greatest force in politics is moral outrage. And so here we are steamrolling this bill through just so that politicians can go out and campaign and say, look, we protected life in South Carolina, lying to their constituents, lying to the church, these efforts being led, in fact, by professing churchgoers. Mm -hmm. I'm not calling that into question. That's between them and God. But I'm just saying this is what's going on here. You can say one thing, but I'm telling you this is what's happening because I saw it with my own eyes. I can, I can read what the bill says. I mean, you can't argue with that. Yeah. It's in black and white. Um, so anyway, you know, here I am. I'm standing at my desk, and I've got these papers in my hand. I'm trying to think, what's my next move? So I wait till whoever's at the podium speaking. They finish speaking. I walk up to the podium. I get ready to walk out of the chamber because I, I'm gonna. I'd already determined I have to abstain. I can't vote for the bill in this form. They won't let me change it, so I'm left with no other option. And so I walk, begin to walk out, and I start tossing papers everywhere. And I throw them up in the air on the way out the door. I might have, uh, you know. And I and I left the I left the room, and it, I in, very intentionally made a small scene in the mm-hmm. process. Um, and. Well, it, I, I remember seeing reports of that, right? And it actually caused me to dig more into that was the details the, of it. That so was I, the intended effect. Maybe you were successful. Yes, in that. <laughs> that was the intended effect. Uh, and praise God for that that it had that effect. And, and I, I get. Here's my issue with I get the Christians and the politicians that I know that 
will celebrate this as a step in the right direction. Like, I get that. But let's don't pretend like the job is done. And here's my question. Has it even moved the meter at all? Has there been any baby saved since that legislation was passed? And I I think the answer is no. The answer is no. The the last uh, report from the Department of Health and Environmental Control, if I recall correctly, and I should have brought a copy with me. I don't have it in front of me, but you can go and pull that. It's public record. But I believe it actually went up this year. Yeah. Um, now, that may not fully account for when this bill went into effect. So I think what will tell the real story is the number that comes out next, next year. year. But understand there are a variety is of factors. Is it tied up in, in uh, any legal battles currently? I mean, is it actually in effect? And are these clinics supposed to be abiding by this rule currently? Well, you make a good point, actually. I think that uh, there is a uh, injunction against it at the moment, so yeah. it's probably not being enforced even right now. So, See, and this is that's my point is I'm right. you know the incremental versus the mm-hmm. full abolition. I I'm all for taking an in- incremental approach if that's all we can get for the moment unto abolition unto truth. You know, Wilberforce is one of my heroes, and he was you know he wanted abolition, but he was willing to take the gains that he could get in the meantime unto the the path of abolition. My point is. Is the law actually doing anything? Is it actually making a difference? When you look at, uh, I was just reading a report about the Texas uh, six-week ban. They they saw numbers from September of 2020 to September of 2021. There's been a 50% decrease in the number of abortions in the state. That's a win to me in the right well, direction. Well, that, that is, but um, we also have to um, look at all the factors, and we have to ask ourselves, well, you know, what are the factors contributing to this? And and try to isolate those as, as much as possible. So uh, correlation does not equal causation, right, right. obviously. Um, but, you know, I, I would and, hope that we could do something that would eradicate the numbers or, or even dramatically decrease and, the numbers. And what I was— I, They've I, been kind of stuck, Curtis, I agree at around 5,500 a year in South Carolina for years now. My, my thought is— Okay, get that on the books. Now mm-hmm. let's let's now let's have these conversations and push the push it even, you know, clean up the language, get it all mo- keep moving in that same direction rather than, you know, use it as a a uh, campaign, you know, point and not right. deal with it anymore, but right. let's actually do the hard work and, and that's, listen that's to it. your concerns and yep. and you know, why is rape and incest in there? You know, is 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 that biblical? Is that, you know, and have those tough debate. I'm sure a lot of those people, last minute these things came through. This is our only chance to at least get something on the books. I'm going to yeah. vote for it, and and I know that it may not be perfect, but I'm mm-hmm. going to vote for it to get something down. I'm okay with that as long as they keep pushing There are a lot the of reps that, that voted for the bill for precisely those reasons. Yeah. Um, and, you know, for me, um, you know, I, I've just seen so many times when you know when we ban dismemberment abortions when we ban abortions at 20 weeks because that's when the 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 unborn child can supposedly is able to feel pain when we do these things and we go out and we hold ourselves out as 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 politicians as pro-life as Mm -hmm. doing something about abortion when in fact nothing changes Mm -hmm. and that's demonstrable in the numbers and we'll we'll see and that's the the issue for me is yeah you can champion it as a success but if it's not changing anything it's just a piece of paper right and and i think i think there is a, a legitimate question to be asked too is is are the numbers that are being reported accurate yeah um and i have that question with texas um one of the reasons for that is because more and more abortions are shifting away from the abortion center 
to mm. do it yourself at home with pills. Pills, yeah. And are those being counted? Mm. And how can we count them? And mm. I, I suspect that the true abortion rate may be higher even here in South Carolina. At the end of the day, though, we are doing an injustice. What is it that Micah 6 8 uh, bids us as Christians to do justly, mm-hmm. to love mercy, to walk humbly with God? Yeah. Our laws, as long as they say that there is a kind of abortion or a scenario where abortion is legal, our, abor- our laws are unjust. Yeah. And that is you know, why, in, in my conscience, I couldn't vote for this bill as is because, uh, because that's precisely what it does. It says it's okay to kill babies with with a beating heart if they were conceived in rape and incest. Mm-hmm. And and I applaud you for taking a stand for what your convictions are and, and holding to those against— Sure, and I, and I don't presume to bind a, anyone else's conscience. You know, yeah, that yeah. everyone has to be convinced in their own mind, yeah. but I'm, I'm telling you, this is where I'm at. This sure. is why I'm here. Now tell us about, you know, your bill mm-hmm. and how, you know— what is the the path forward for that, or what? How can people learn more and get involved with that? If we want to see sure. uh, more of a biblical representation in our laws, you know, that upholds life and and holds a standard. Well, I mean, the first thing I would encourage people to do is actually go read the bill. Yeah. If you if you go read the bill, you'll you'll be light years ahead of most politicians <laughs> because they don't read the bills. <laughs> I oh, wonder how stop, many. Stop! You're breaking my yeah. heart. <laughs> um, I'm, South Carolina State House, secstatehouse.gov, do a search for House Bill 4046, read the bill. The key point is is right up at the beginning of the bill where it says, and I quote, the deliberate termination of an unborn child by any means or at any stage of development is murder under Section 16-3-10, which is the the definition of murder in South Carolina. It's the the killing of another person with malice of forethought is is the definition of murder in South Carolina. So that's the key point. Uh, If you continue reading, you'll see there's quite a lot of teeth in terms of enforcement of the bill. Uh, And and the most significant point in, in the point, which is probably the most controversial piece of the bill, to be honest, is the fact that we're explicitly stating in this piece of legislation that we are going to enact this notwithstanding Roe. Mm-hmm. We don't care what the courts say. We don't care what they have said in the past. We don't care what they say in the future. And if any state judge gets in the way of this, we're going to impeach them. Mm-hmm. Um, that's grounds for impeachment under this bill. So, and and I I filed, and we can probably talk about this more. But um, you know, there I I was party to uh, signing an amicus brief in the Mississippi case that basically put this U.S. Supreme Court on notice that said, look. You've done wrong. This is unconstitutional. You're in violation of the 14th Amendment. You're in violation of natural law. And we are, we, we hope that you will take this opportunity to overturn Roe. But even if you do not, we're not going to treat it as legitimate binding law anymore, not in our state. And I think we have the constitutional backing and grounds to do that. Um, well, Jonathan, we're out of time, man. Thank you so much. This is so good. If you want to learn more, Go read the bill. Reach out to Jonathan at VoteHill.com. Continue to pray for the ending of abortion. I mean, we've seen huge strides. I mean, we can't deny that we've seen an awakening uh, in many hearts and more people coming to the pro-life side even. And But the, what, what we need answers on is how does this thing flesh out and how do we— uh, legislate according to the the standard. And so uh, reach out to Jonathan. I'm sure he'd love to have that conversation Absolutely. with you. Um, we'd love to talk with you more. You can reach out to us. Uh, we're glad that you've tuned in. We hope that you'll join with us next time. Until then, God bless you. Thanks for tuning in to this week's broadcast of Table Talk with the Greenville House of Prayer. 
We pray you've been encouraged and hope you'll join us next week as we continue to host Christian conversations that explore the scripture, promote prayer, and edify the body of Christ. For more information about Greenville House of Prayer or to contact us, please visit our website at ghopsc.org or connect with us on Facebook at the Greenville House of Prayer.